When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Living to 100 Club podcast. Here's our host, Dr. Joseph Cassiani. Greetings to all of our listeners and welcome to the Living to 100 Club program, where we discuss strategies to live longer and stay healthy and positive about aging. We're creating a mindset about living to 100 and we're turning aging on its head. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Joe Cassiani. One of the nicest parts about these podcasts is having the opportunity to share innovative programs that are really helping people live longer and healthier. We have with us today someone who will talk about his company's approach to improving health outcomes in communities, in low-income housing, and in medical clinics. Dr. Ben Emmert Aronson is a psychologist who co-founded Open Source Wellness, to leverage the power of community through coaching, healthy meals, and peer support. Dr. Emmert Aronson speaks nationally on the importance of daily behaviors in creating health and how societal forces can make it harder for some of those in communities to put these new behaviors into action. He'll share with us what works. Ben, welcome to our show. Thanks so much, Joe. Glad to be here. Great. Glad to have you with us. I always like to open by asking our guests to tell us about the journey that brought you to where you are today. Oh, it's such a great question. I think it's, um, you know, it's amazing to watch that unfold for people because so often there's this, you know, beautiful finished product at the end, but then uh, I think the ways that we get there are often really personal. Sure. I know for me, Open Source Wellness was exactly that. Um, I had the uh, good fortune of living in intentional community, uh, living in co-ops and uh, during my time in, in college and grad school. And the, the things that I learned there were really what we brought to Open Source Wellness. So living in a co-op, it was kind of baked into the community that if I um, it made it easier to eat healthy, because five nights a week someone was cooking dinner for the house, but only twice a month did I need to cook. It made it easier to exercise, because if I wanted to go for a run, there was always someone who wanted to go with me. And social uh, support was just baked in into the house. There was always someone there if I needed uh, a shoulder to lean on or wanted to share some exciting news. And so when my co-founder, Liz, and I were thinking about open source wellness. We really had this sense of intentional community as part of the backdrop. And we said, you know, what can we do to make uh, exercise, good food, stress reduction, and social support easier for people, and particularly for people who don't usually have access to the, the structure and support that 
that we can sometimes purchase to, to support us here. Things like health coaches, you know, um, specialty grocery stores, uh, exercise classes, that kind of thing. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you got together with your co-founder, your partner, and you put this program together, Open Source Wellness. I know we'll talk more about it in detail. Um, had you worked as a psychologist in other settings, or was this kind of your culmination of your professional background and training? Yeah, so I had worked, we had both actually worked as psychologists, uh, particularly in safety net hospitals, in low-income clinics. Um, I did a, a bunch of my training at the VA, which I was really grateful for. I loved working there. Uh, but in that in that training, in that time, we had both seen uh, that there was a real kind of bifurcation for our patients. That in general, uh, and both of us worked in um, primary care mental health integration, so we had worked both uh, as psychologists in primary care and then also um, kind of in more classic therapy settings. And what we saw is that for our patients, they were being told, you know, you need to exercise, you need to eat better, you need to reduce your stress, you need social support. And these are all great recommendations, and they're the things that we know are so tied to our health. I mean, that's what's going to have us live to 100, right? Um, but the, the split came when our patients with privilege versus our patients without privilege were given these instructions. You know, for our patients with some privilege, they were able to, as I said a moment ago, hire a health coach. They could shop at Whole Foods. They could, um, you know, take Pilates. But for our patients without privilege, um, they they weren't able to hire these supports, and so they weren't able to make the changes that were being asked of them. Uh, and we really we realized that they were being given a, a prescription to nowhere. They were being a prescription given a prescription to change their behaviors, but there was no pharmacy for them to fill that prescription in. That's really how we developed open source wellness. We wanted it to be a behavioral pharmacy to fill these behavioral prescriptions. Yeah, that's a great concept. That's similar to the recommendations about better eating and more fruits and vegetables, yet in a lot of communities it's really hard to get the fruit and vegetables that are fresh daily and you know affordable. So you're bringing mm -hmm. um, multiple inputs, multiple systems for these individuals. That's that's great. I think that's a, a great concept. So, you know, I'm concerned about, well, we're all concerned about the prevalence of chronic disease, right, in our national health care spending. We, we see it all around us. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of research from uh, National Institute of Health and others, uh, organizations where 70% of our longevity is due to lifestyle, and 30% mm -hmm. is due to maybe genetics, maybe family history. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm sure you're familiar with some of that. I, how, does, how does this national picture of the prevalence of chronic disease come into play with your programs? Mm -hmm. You know, I think you're pointing at something great here. And in, in addition to the focus on kind of our lifestyle behaviors there, there's also the massive impact of chronic disease. I think uh, most folks don't recognize just how big this is. I certainly didn't before I started doing this work. But 80% of our healthcare spending is on chronic disease. 
it, it's really just it's the vast majority of what we're fighting as a country. Uh, and the vast majority of treating that chronic disease is what we actually do on a daily basis. And so that's where we really set out to make those daily behaviors uh, not only easier for people to do, you know, make it a little easier to get some exercise, to get some, uh, to get healthy food, to get that social support, but also to make it fun. Um, I have this belief that that we really do on a daily basis those things which are easy and fun. And so if we want to make exercise and good food uh, and social support, um, if we want it to be embedded into our society in a way that people access it regularly, then we have to make it both easy and fun for people to do. Yeah, yeah. so that's a, that's a big part of the backdrop, as you said, um, making these systems, these support systems available to your your clients, the members of your your programs. Yeah, I can see that. So, help me understand open source wellness a little bit. Let's talk about that. You call it a delivery system that helps to make lifestyle changes. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so when we think of a pharmacy, it's a delivery system for our medications, right? You know, imagine if CVS didn't exist and your doctor handed you a script for insulin or antibiotics and said, I hope you figure it out. <laughs> it would be impossible, right? You know, there, there would be no way to, uh, there, with no delivery system for that medication, we'd have no chance at actually following through on the prescription. Unfortunately, that's the reality for so many of our patients when they're given behavioral prescriptions, when they're told to change these lifestyle medic, um, lifestyle behaviors. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so what we said is like, oh, what would it look like to have a pharmacy for behaviors? And then we set out to create that. And so what we have at Open Source Wellness is a place where uh, doctors will prescribe their patients to our groups Patients will come for a four-month four cohort and attend group once a week for two hours. In that time, we do a half hour of dance-based movement, do a little bit of mindfulness meditation. Uh, we do some quick uh, lesson on health and well-being. We call them sparks because they're, they're supposed to be just a, a spark of an idea around health and wellness. But we try and stay away from uh, kind of didactic, uh, boring, you know, eat more of this and less of that, uh, but keep it interactive and playful for people. And then after that, people sit down to a meal together in small groups of about five or six along with a health coach who helps them work on the goals that matter most to them. So again, we're really focused on what is most important to the patient themselves, what makes a difference in their lives, and uh, utilizing that, that fun, that social support, that structure throughout to actually have it be something that they can carry forward after they leave our doors. Mm, sure. So the delivery system for behavioral change, whatever the prescription is for weight loss or uh, peer support or physical fitness, that's what gets prescribed probably more generically than individually 
to your <laughs> to your members. Is there ever any um, like individual prescription? I mean, that you know, like a anti-anxiety pill. Or do you do you get a prescription for more exercise and not recognizing the other behaviors? Or is it? Uh, more, well, um, you know what I'm saying. Uh huh. Yeah, I think I understand. So you're saying, uh, like, do folks ever have just, like, one piece of this that they're right. told to do? Is that right? Right, right. You know, sometimes uh, sometimes folks will come in uh, with the idea that they're only interested in, say, the nutrition aspect. They're like, you know, I, I just need to eat better. I don't need all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. What we find is that uh, very often that uh, that story or that idea changes as they participate. That no matter what it is that we're coming in for, whether it's uh, you know diabetes, um, heart disease, depression, uh, anxiety, any of these kind of chronic conditions that are plaguing us as a country, they're all improved by uh, diet, exercise, social support, and stress reduction. And so that's why we really have one transdiagnostic group where everyone goes regardless of the condition or goal that they have coming in and where everyone participates in all four aspects because they really do complement one another so well. Mm, yeah, I can see that. That's really that's really beautiful that you can start with a specific approach and then you recognize and the individual recognizes, well, there's really more to this than I thought I needed. It really is much more comprehensive for my total well-being, holistic health, if you will, but mm-hmm. really a, a more global Absolutely. Approach. I can see that. Sure, sure. Well, and it's one of the pieces that I see in your Living to 100 Club as well that you're not telling people, you know, if you just exercise all the time, then you'll be fine. But you really have to have this holistic picture of of yourself as a person, of the kind of um, mind-body connection, and that we really need to to look at that whole picture together. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There are several ingredients, several strategies. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you mentioned the um, you mentioned the four models or the four uh, programs. Mm-hmm. Tell us again the. Diet. Um, sure. Go ahead. Support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we say move, nourish, connect, be. So physical activity, healthy meals, social support, and stress reduction. Mm-hmm. And that it's really these four pillars uh, that so much of our health is is built upon. So move, being more physical activity, nourish, diet, connect this peer support, and being a stress reduction? Exactly right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so where do your programs operate? Mm -hmm. We're based in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, so we're at half a dozen clinics throughout the East Bay here, across Oakland, Hayward, um, even down to San Jose. But we're also reaching out and partnering with uh, clinics across the country. We did some work with the just outside of Denver, Colorado a bit ago. We've got a site up in Washington. Um, it's on a small island just outside of Seattle, actually. It's been an incredible site to work with. Uh, and we're actually looking forward to partnering shortly with the University of Vermont for a program for their staff, uh, uh, health and wellness program there. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you're in freestanding um clinics, is that what they're called? 
Mm-hmm. Yes, well the vast majority. Go ahead. Yeah, the vast majority of our work is right within primary care clinics. So we partner with uh, particularly low-income clinics. We have a real uh, mission around bringing this work, making it accessible to folks where it wouldn't usually be accessible. Um, but we, we work with uh, all kinds of different clinics um, as well as low-income housing communities to really help, again, make this work more accessible. And then we also collaborate with any, any type of primary care clinic. For example, right now we're working with um, Stanford University's clinic for their, for their faculty uh, and staff to help support wellness there. Mm-hmm. And it's a way for us to bring this work uh, to the broader country as a whole. Mm-hmm. In addition to the kind of clinical sites that we do, we also work with corporations who are wanting to improve well-being for their employees. I think particularly right now during COVID, this is a real focus for so many employers because their staff are are isolated from one another. You know, uh, we're not in the office, we're not together in the way that we were before, and it's taking a toll on people's physical and mental health. And so a number of uh, companies have reached out to us to have us run well-being events for them. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you can extend the reach and bring your your principles, your your operating systems into a number of settings. That's great. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious. Uh, you know, I always wonder about people that you know get this good information, but they don't follow up. They don't participate. There's resistance. Um, there's blocks. <laughs> How often do you see mm-hmm. that? Yeah, I think that's uh, kind of one of the real miracles of what we do, that we really have shifted away from a kind of information-based model into one where we just do it together with people. So instead of talking about uh, exercise or talking about diet, we just exercise together. We, we have a healthy meal together. Uh, we do mindfulness. And so in, this shifts the onus off of the patient and takes it away from this idea of something that one more thing that they have to do, one more chore on their list, and has it be closer to um, like a, a meetup or an event where people are just coming together to see their friends, and then, oh, by the way, while they were seeing their friends, we snuck in some exercise and good food. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. <laughs> My mom used to joke about sneaking vegetables into tuna noodle casserole. Uh, and I think that's a bit of the model that we have yeah. where we set it up as just a fun time for people to come together. And then while they're together, we do all these healthy things. Yeah. So you take the spotlight off of here's what you should be doing and you just do it. Exactly. Exactly. Sure. Sure. I watched a video, I think, of your your partner, Liz. Um, she talked about the disease of despair. Um, what's yes. that about? Yeah, I think that that is, um, is, it's a piece that we just need so much more focus on these days. Um, so diseases of despair, it, we're talking about depression, we're talking about suicide, we're talking about drug use, that we we are seeing 
an epidemic in our country, and I would argue that the vast majority of our chronic diseases are falling into this um, this category, where we need to not only ask why are we seeing these diseases, why are we seeing increases in drug use and increases in suicidality, but what's the thing underlying that? And I think for us, we're really seeing uh, despair there. We're seeing increases in isolation. We're seeing increases in loneliness. And we're seeing our communities um, more separated from one another. I think, uh, you know, we talk about the American dream of the white picket fence and the, you know, two-car garage, but we don't have enough attention on the things that were lost in, in that model. And I think that we have lost so much community, we've lost so much connection uh, in moving out of, you know, multi-generational homes or, or um, small neighborhoods where everyone knew everyone. We have lost so much of that uh, built-in support. Once we lose that community support, then we really have the, this pan epidemic of isolation, this epidemic of loneliness, and we see people trying to solve that epidemic through numbing with drugs, with food, with, uh, with screens, uh, and through avoidance. I think that instead of instead of of demonizing some of these behaviors, we need to take a look at the things causing them and change those systemic factors causing them, bring us back to community, bring social support back into our lives on a daily basis. Yeah, right, because those behaviors are really, I mean, they're just ways to cope with a lot of the stresses and disconnects exactly. that people feel. Sure. Sure. Exactly, their responses. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the social forces uh, you talk about, is this what you're referring to, the societal forces that make it harder for people in the communities to feel grounded? Absolutely. I think that you know, one of the pieces that we see is just a real uh, discrepancy in in not only in longevity, but also in what's possible in your daily life based on uh, like economics based on uh, on the community you're in. You, you talked briefly before about genetic codes and like how much of our health is based on our daily behaviors and how much is based on our you know family history, our genes, that kind of thing. One of the pieces that's so striking for me is that currently our zip code is a better predictor of our health than our genetic code. That where we live, the neighborhood we live in, you know, and the availability of healthy food, the availability of safe places to exercise and to be outside, the pollution that we're dealing with, all these social determinants of health, those predict more of our health than our genetics and our family history. Yeah, yeah, I've seen some of that research. I think uh, some of that has come out of Blue Zones, too, as they talk about mm -hmm. these longevity factors and is, you know, setting up these programs around the country. So I think you're right. I think you're right. The zip codes do have a lot of segmenting um, effect on communities, sure. Yeah. Here in the Bay, it's particularly striking, uh, but it's certainly not, I mean, we see this pattern across the country. In in Oakland here, uh, there 
the life expectancy is 12 years lower than just 10 miles away in Walnut Creek. And so we see uh, this incredible discrepancy just a few miles apart because of the resources that are available for people, because of the, the um, social determinants of health, the things that they're able to access. And so at Open Source Wellness, we really have a mission around leveling that out and making it so that everyone has a good shot at health. Everyone has a fair shake at living a, a long, healthy, happy life. Sure. Yeah, the inequities, the disparities. Yeah. So I, I think this is a great, great program, and it sounds like it's <laughs> well-established and you're kind of expanding into these different settings. Are you doing anything online? Do you have any coaching online or <laughs> programs that are available? Well, unfortunately, right now everything's online. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're, as as is the rest of the country, uh, looking ver looking forward to when we're able to safely be back in person. We have most of our programming within clinics, as I mentioned, some within uh, low-income housing, but then we also have a community site that's open and available to anyone. And then right now, because uh, we are online, that's accessible to anyone in the country, I mean, anyone in the world if you can get the time zones right. The easiest way to learn more about that is probably just to email me directly, and then we can get folks set up if they're wanting to do some more coaching. Okay. And what's the email, Ben? Sure. I'm Ben at opensourcewellness.org. To see more about our program, the, our website is just opensourcewellness.org. We have some videos up there. We've got um, some of our outcomes data and the, the impact that our program has had, all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that is my next question. I'm curious about any outcomes data. I mean, that's the, that's the key to any of these programs. What kind of results are you seeing with your members? Absolutely, and I love that uh, you hold that up as one of the keys. I, I'm similar. I, I'm a real numbers geek, and to me, until I see the data, until I see the outcomes, it's just a good story. So I want to know, like, you know, let's see the, the hard numbers, and what does that look like? We've, we've seen striking outcomes on our work, particularly around depression, people who come in with uh, symptoms of depression see a 57% drop in that depression. Um, people who come in with hypertension see on average a 21-point drop in their systolic blood pressure. We see significant drops in um, anxiety and isolation, increases in uh, physical exercise, increases in the servings of fruits and vegetables that people are eating. Um, and then uh, one of our uh, the things that we're most proud of is we saw a 77% drop in emergency room visits and hospitalizations for people looking at before our program versus after it. Wow, that's striking, 77%. Yeah, that's remarkable. Huge. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, and so particularly right now as we're trying to keep people out of the hospital, and we're also, uh, as health systems, are trying to reduce costs and do more with less. I think anything that we can do to reduce ER visits is, is going to be a vital one. Yeah, well, that's the name of the game. I, I agree. I think any of our behavior medicine approaches 
mental health approaches that work with the medical population, that's where we're going to have an impact, and you're seeing that, I'm sure. It's, it's so much more than just the prescription for a pill, not to minimize that, but you need to get the behavior mm-hmm. medicine, you need to get the lifestyle changes, the motivation, the determination, overcome any of those emotional blocks. That's what's going to really matter with these folks, I think. So Open Source Wellness is a not-for-profit organization. How do you support yourselves? That's right. We really, as I said, our mission was really around making this accessible to folks who couldn't otherwise and uh, improving the world in that way. Uh, We have, I think it's called multi-braided finance streams. Uh, So one is direct revenue. So when we partner with clinics, we contract with them to provide the services. And there's actually a really great way that this works out where because they're able to improve their provider efficiency through our group model, the clinic actually makes more money than it costs to contract with us. And so these low-income clinics that are often struggling just to keep their doors open are able to increase their revenue and provide their patients with better care and have their doctors uh, have a better experience, which is particularly important in this time of doctor burnout. And so it's really a, a win-win-win across all, all sites there. In addition, we... Those clinics are able to bill for some of the medical procedures that they provide as well, right? Right. So we, when we run um, a site in a clinic, we do what's called a group medical visit where we provide all of the programming where we do, um, you know, we, again, the, the exercise, the mindfulness, the group health coaching. And then during all of that, there's one provider, uh, like an MD or a nurse practitioner, who is seeing patients for brief one-on-one checkups. And then they're able to bill for those checkups uh, in the context of the group medical visit. And so then the other methods of uh, supporting this work is we do write grants for it, and we also have a number of very dedicated givers who support this, say, you know, this is something that we need more of in the world. Um, I want to help bring that and bring that out into the world. Sure. Yeah. I, I must commend you, Ben, and your partner, Dr. Markle. That is just a great-sounding program, and, you know, the outcome studies are very positive, and you're having an impact, and that's, like we said, that's the name of the game. That's just great. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Joe. I really appreciate yeah. that. Sure. Let me ask, we're just about out of time, but what, what's one thing we should all do to, you know, try to decrease or replace with something healthier today? How can we, what would you recommend to our listeners about doing something healthy today? Absolutely. There's a couple things that come to mind. Um, one is, you know, people are always wanting to know, like, what's the, the magic food I shouldn't eat, right? Or, what, you know, how should I change my diet? The thing that I've found most impactful around diet is actually not cutting things out but adding things in. So you want to focus on the the pieces that you can add in that will help crowd out some other foods. So things like, you know, eating more vegetables, eating some more fruit. There is actually an incredible study about five years ago now that showed that if everyone in America ate one more fruit or one more vegetable per day, we would save 30,000 deaths per year. 
that's my first uh, my my, fir- my first argument is grab an extra apple after the podcast. Sure. Uh, and then the other thing I would say is grab a friend. That any time we're trying to change behaviors, it's so much easier and more fun if we have a friend that we're doing it with. And I know for me, all through college, I was on the bike team. And there were times where I did not feel like uh, going out, going for a ride. I, I raced on the team in Boston. And, you know, there were rides that were 12 degrees outside. And I was... <laughs> warm under the covers. Mm-hmm. But I knew that my buddy was out there waiting for me, and I wasn't going to w- leave him waiting in the snow. So I got up and I went and biked. And similarly uh, for him. And so I think that, that having a friend to do it with makes it not only more fun, but makes you more likely to show up. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's important to maintain that continuity and that support, that peer support. I like that. Grab a friend. And add uh, better foods to our diet. Don't necessarily take away, but crowd them out with some of the healthier foods. Makes sense. sense. Grab an apple and grab a friend. I think that's my new motto. Right. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So, again, you can be contacted at your email address, ben at opensourcewellness.org. And the website is www.opensourcewellness.org. Great. Exactly. Well, it looks like we're out of time, uh, but before we wrap up, let me just remind our listeners about a few items. Be sure to visit our website, take a look at the resources available on successful aging, and sign up to be on our mailing list to receive our newsletter and other announcements. Finally, pick up a copy of my book on Amazon, Living Longer is the New Normal. I think that whatever age you're at, inspiration and a positive mindset can be put to good use. That's my message in the book. Ben, thanks so much for being a guest today and sharing this great work that you're doing. I think it's super and uh, gold stars to you and hope you can continue it for years to come. Thanks so much, Joe. Great to be here. Great. Okay, and thanks to everyone for listening to this episode. Hope to see you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.